Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton. Sober since 2015. Hey everyone, welcome to Last Drinks. I thought I would start today's episode with a quote. (laughs) Uh, This is a great quote from, I'll read you the quote first and then I'll tell you who it's from. Sobriety to me is a gift. It's something that I was fortunate enough to be able to receive and I'm very, very grateful on a daily basis. Will Arnett has said that. Now, Will Arnett is one of my favorite comedians. If you haven't seen any of his television work or his movies, get around it. Uh, He did a great show about a decade ago with Christina Applegate called Up All Night. If you're a parent, it's hilarious because it's so relatable. They just have really depicted what it's like being a married couple with a young baby and how life really changes so quickly and dramatically. Um, It's such a great show, but I've loved him in so many TV shows and movies. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing him many, many years ago um, when I used to work at MTV. I had no idea Will Arnett was sober. Um, But I love this quote because, and I love that celebrities are really putting sobriety in the spotlight. It's, you know, I might do an episode about sober celebrities and how, you know, it's not about bragging rights and saying, well, I'm sober and it's another thing that people can love me for. I think, you know, for an artist or a, a musician, an actor, somebody in the spotlight to be open about such a personal journey about Sobriety is usually the result of some level of struggle with alcohol. I think it's really great. Will Arnett has been sober for about 18 years now. Yeah, about that time, 18 years ago, he realized he was drinking too much. So he he stopped um, and then he briefly had a relapse in 2016 while he was working on Flaked, which is his Netflix comedy series, ironically about a man in recovery. And he has spoken about this saying when that happened, um, you know, he just took stock. He was able to reconnect with his recovery community and that has helped him stay sober. Um, And he said that the decision he made to go sober had a ripple effect on all of the people around him. Another quote, he says, sobriety has touched so many people, not just me, but so many people in my life, my kids, my family. So that's really encouraging, I think, especially for blokes. Like, come on, guys. There's there's so many resources for women. Um, there's just there's not that many, I think, like bloke-focused resources. And I'm trying to make this podcast as gender-neutral as possible because I understand, like, my husband is sober and he 
Glenn never really had an issue with drinking. He just quit drinking kind of like 10 months after I stopped drinking because he was like, well, I'm the only person I want to have a glass of wine with really is you and you're not going to drink anymore. So there goes that idea. But, you know, he still gets the odd comment from the blokes at the footy club, like, what do you mean you're not drinking? What are you talking about? And it's not a big deal for him, but I can imagine for somebody who has really, you know, battled with a dependency, that that's, it would be really tough. So wanted to encourage the blokes. Um, I know like Quitlit, really a lot of it is geared towards women, but hopefully, you know, this narrative and these conversations are um, helping the blokes get sober, go down that sober curiosity path and, um, and get there. So with that said, let's hear a story from a woman, shall we? <laughs> I do have I do have a couple of chats with blokes coming up on the podcast, but for today, it is the wonderful Casey Davidson. So Casey lives in America. Um, she is a sobriety coach. And this is what I love about Casey's story, which we get real deep into in this chat. It's not dramatic. Casey has the most non-dramatic sobriety story that I've heard. And I love it because it's really relatable because it reinforces the idea that you do not need to hit a rock bottom. You don't need to be falling out of yourself drunk and losing everything you've ever worked for and there to be utter chaos and devastation and destruction to arrive at a place where you start to question your relationship with alcohol. It could just be something that you do on the weekends that you think, maybe I don't need to do this on the weekends. So we unpack her story, how non-dramatic it was, but how life-changing it was that she stopped drinking. And we also give a really great parallel on, you know, how we sort of have this special way of looking at alcohol. And if we looked at other dependencies, it kind of changes the way you might look at your relationship with alcohol or identify or assess or view your relationship with alcohol. So this episode is really helpful. It's a great story. She's wonderful. Enjoy Last Drinks with Casey Davidson from Hello Someday Coaching. Yeah, it feels good to go. I'm I'm rolling. So I'm good. Let's start at the beginning of your sobriety. Can you tell me, Casey, about your last drink? Yes, I can. And oddly, a couple things about it. It was not terribly dramatic. And at the time, I had no idea it was going to be my last night drinking. Wow. So on the actual last night I drank, it was pretty typical. I had had a couple things leading up to it that made me be like, I'm going to need to stop drinking eventually or soon. Like this is unsustainable. This is not good. Sort of feeling like it was going to lead me somewhere really negative. And then I came back home. I was on vacation in Arizona after a work conference and came back maybe on Sunday. Monday went by, drank a bottle of wine at night. It was Tuesday, drank a bottle of wine. That was actually really typical for me. I sort of was a working mom who came home and would open a bottle of wine and just drink the whole thing every night and sometimes drink more, sometimes want to open a second bottle Mm -hmm. for, you know, quote unquote, one or two more. I'm nodding along. I'm nodding along because I'm like, yes. And I, I, at the time, was not a mother. (laughs) 
I was just yeah. trying to do my life. But when I say to people, oh, you know, I would usually go home and drink a bottle of wine and then sometimes like the big question was like, do I open the second bottle? Oh and, yes. so, you know, I get this mixed reaction. Some people go, oh, a whole bottle of wine, like outrageous, you're crazy. And then other people are yeah. like, oh, only a bottle? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, I didn't think it was that unusual. Yeah. Like I kind of knew I woke up with a headache and a hangover every yeah. day and I, you know, would do the thing where I promised myself I would take a break to get in shape or pull myself together or whatever, and then would make it four days, white knuckling it the whole time and then be like, oh, screw it. You know, I need a bottle. Today's been hard, good, in between, bored. My husband's out of town. And then go buy a bottle of wine a night. And I would tell myself, well, if I do it every four days, that's like two bottles a week. That's way better than nine bottles when I was not trying to be good, which is true. But so my last drinks, I came home from work. It was a Tuesday. Um, I opened my bottle of wine. I drank it while, you know, cooking dinner, doing dishes, put, you know, after I put my kids to bed, having a party on my couch on a Tuesday night, all by myself watching shows while my husband did his stuff. And then woke up the, no, I woke up at 3am. And, you know, the typical 3am wake ups where you have huge anxiety and are like, how the hell am I going to handle work and life and kids? And I'm worried about my drinking. And I was in a secret Facebook group of people um, who were trying to stop drinking. I had been a member there for three years. I'd kind of stopped for a little bit, gone back to drinking, but always sort of red. And someone um, recommended a sober coach. It was actually Belle of Tired of Thinking About Drinking, oh, who's out of Paris. I love Belle. I love Belle she's too. A, I've had her on the podcast and oh, oh. she's phenomenal. I'm so glad she's a part of your story. Yeah. Oh, she was my sober coach for two years. I like went into the office, you know, and I was a director at a fortune 500 company and brutally hungover mom. I mean, it was just, I was like, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I got on my computer at 10 AM. And before I could talk myself out of it, I signed up for a hundred day challenge. I paid my money and was like, all right. And started on day one, did not know that would be my last day one. I just took it incrementally day by day by day by day with her kind of holding my hand and cheering me on and sort of preparing me and sort of highlighting what might be coming up and sort of navigating every hard day at work and every dinner party and all the things in between um, until I hit 30 days and 60 and 100. And then I said, okay, I'm going to go for six months because my life had gotten so much better. My anxiety kind of went way down. It wasn't gone, but it went way down. I physically felt better. I ran a 10K. I was working out. I just was calmer. My house was more peaceful. And so I was like, I'm going to do six months. And my husband was shocked because we were going on vacation to Paris and, and Paris, Italy, Croatia. 
And I was a red wine girl. Like (laughs) I loved red wine. He was like, how How? is this possible? And it was my 40th birthday. And he was like, you're not going to drink through that. And once I kind of passed six months and went for a year, I kind of said, you know what? I'm done. I think I'm done. I've had enough. I love that it took you a year (laughs) to admit it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we we don't want to let go of our identity in the bottle. It's so challenging when especially what I love, Casey, about your story is that it isn't dramatic because I think so many people are sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for the bottom of the floor to fall out from under them and hit a rock bottom before they go, okay, well, now I've done that. Now it's so catastrophic. It's so dramatic. I have to stop drinking. There was no drama to your story, which means it boils down to choice because your choice was last bottle of wine on a Tuesday night or not. You could have just yeah. as easily gotten up on the Wednesday and deleted Bell's email and um, and tapped well, back and in. And I had done that so many times right. before. I mean, I think there was no rock bottom. Nobody told me I needed to stop drinking. And yet I had been worried about my drinking since my son was six months old and he was eight years old. Wow. If that tells you yeah. how long... I sort of went back and forth. I used to walk into work, you know, and grab my Starbucks and my breakfast sandwich because I was just trying desperately to like feel okay mm-hmm. and be like, do I just abuse alcohol or am I actually, you know, a quote unquote alcoholic? Because if I just abuse it, that means I can stop abusing it. You know, like this was the constant background in my mind. I think and so just on yeah. that point, I think what this is something that I've been thinking about for a little while because it comes up a lot where the, I, I love definitions. Like I love, like I'm a borderline OCD. My pantry is immaculate. Like I love things in boxes, in places and everything has a home. So when I was looking at my relationship with alcohol, I didn't fit into a box and it was really confusing for me because I couldn't identify as a thing with my alcohol. All I knew yeah. was, I didn't like the way I was becoming. Um, I didn't. I I didn't lose my job over it. I, you know, I I didn't do anything crazy when I was drinking, but I I was yeah. uncomfortable with the amount I was drinking and the thoughts I was having around my drinking. And because I couldn't give myself a definition or a box to sit in, it was really confusing. It sounds like you were in a similar way where. For years, years of your life, you were like, I don't know what I am, but I I don't think I want to be this way. But if I can't define yeah. what I am, how can I change it? And what I think is helpful for people is to to I think if you if we take the word alcohol out of the equation and replace it with something else that you can have a disorder from. Yeah. So like you know, this isn't a super fun experiment, but like, let's talk about like an eating disorder. If I said to you, I have an eating disorder, you wouldn't say, well, just moderate your bulimia, Maz. You wouldn't say, just purge on the weekends, babe, get through the week. Do you know what I mean? Because when you look at it as a disorder, 
and something yes. that you need to have in order in order to manage in your life, there are boundaries, there are things in place and there there's stuff that we do in order to grow towards health we don't do that with alcohol and it blows my mind because I'm like you don't say to a heroin addict well just try and moderate like no one says that you don't because that is not helpful that is not the way towards health and healing from addiction and so while there's no drama with alcohol it is this really like murky water of just like waking up every day with a headache going is it bad enough today to do something about and I think the encouragement from your story which is so important is that it doesn't have to get that bad it is just about your relationship with alcohol and if you wake up any day of the week and go this isn't good enough for me anymore then that's a big enough reason to to want to shift towards sobriety and try it out yeah I totally agree. And I think something that held me back for years that I have now completely thrown out the window for myself and for most of the women I work with is the term and idea of alcoholic. Like I didn't want to be in that category. I had gone to a few AA meetings and I didn't like saying I was an alcoholic. It sort of spurred all of that internal debate of am I or aren't I or I don't want to be. And it was just at the meetings I went to portrayed as this is going to be a daily struggle for the rest of your life. You're not like everyone else. You have a disease. And once I put that away and said, this is a an addictive substance that is only going to draw you in more in the same way that cigarettes are, in the same way that cocaine is or whatever it is. And this is a health choice yeah. in the same way you decide to run a marathon or you decide to become a vegetarian. I mean, someone's not a vegetarian because they're like, wow, I feel better without it or it's not right for me anymore. And nobody's like, well, just have some meat today. Like you were saying, you know, they were like, okay, you're a vegetarian. They may not prepare food for you, AKA they may not have non-alcoholic beer or beverages you like on hand. So you bring your own. Yeah. You know, if you're going to a dinner party or you say, hey, I'm a vegetarian, but don't worry, I'll eat, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Yeah, uh, like 100%. And these, the the thing that I'm most passionate about, Casey, is I want to, I want, this is for my, my kid especially, like I want us to exist in a society where not drinking is the normal. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to exist yeah. oh, where yeah. it's like we can be together and socialize and hang out and have a great time. And alcohol's not even on the table. Yeah, it's not required. And you know what? I think there is hope because everything I've seen is that millennials and especially Gen Zs are drinking so much Less. less than Gen X and baby boomers. I mean, Gen X and baby boomers are the ones typically putting away a bottle of wine plus a night. Yeah. And- the younger generations just don't do that as much, which is pretty amazing, even as they're, you know, the mom wine culture, which I'm sure you've seen is a thing um, because of all the reasons when you feel isolated and want to reward and, mm. you know, want to check out and, you know, say I'm still cool and young and my life is more than my baby. And 
drinking is not as ingrained for them. They're so much more likely to do dry January and sober October and all the things. Yeah. That's, that's interesting too. And it's probably because those generations saw our generation putting a bottle of wine yes. away or not. And they're like, I'm not going to do that. It's like when, when your yeah. parents get on Facebook, you know, it's time to go to TikTok, right? You just don't, right. it's super like, our, in a in a weird way, like the baby boomers and the Gen Xers made drinking so uncool because of our terrible behavior yes. and our alcohol use disorder that the younger generations were like, well, let's not do that. Like, let's learn from their mistakes, which is not a terrible thing. And you're right, too. I yeah. think also the younger generations are so health conscious and wellness savvy and alcohol does not fit into any pillar of health. It doesn't. It, you can't yeah. be your healthiest best self if you're drinking alcohol it, even in small amounts it just doesn't it doesn't well, work well and i'm i'm also hoping that all the new information and to be fair it's not new yeah. this information was always around it was just buried by big alcohol and various studies that were totally biased but you know the american cancer society saying hey alcohol is linked to these seven types of cancer and heart disease and no level is safe. Mm. Um, I think it's really helpful. There was something that came out three days ago about how doctors are now saying we absolutely have to have better warnings on wine bottles in the same way we do with cigarettes. Because right now on the back, it basically says, don't drink if you're pregnant and don't drink and drive, which basically means it's harmless the way we interpret it for everyone else. Yeah. Which is factually incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. So Casey, I want to um dip back into your story. Um yes. so you you had your last bottle or so of wine <laughs> on a casual Tuesday and then you tapped into um Bell's 100 day sober challenge, which is a yeah. great great way to start is by I always say, you know, kindergarten kids always need a buddy to cross a road. Anyone attempting sobriety needs a buddy to hold their hand. So buddying up with somebody anonymously or, or however you do it is, is really key. But for you, like, when did the mental shift happen early on? Was it, you know, months down the track? When did you have, I, I call it like the light switch on moment where you're like, Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what it was is, like I said, I think anyone who finally removes alcohol from their life, for most of us, it's not your first rodeo of like, oh, shit, this is not okay. I should cut back. So let's, so, I mean, my God, I have like eight plus years of worrying about my drinking and trying to moderate and reading the Quitlet and listening to the podcasts, which are all so helpful in building up that pre-contemplation and that mindset that you can live a happy life without alcohol. Um, And even though there was no big bottom, I mean, there was plenty of little moments that and some people would say big moments, you know, for example, a couple days before I stopped drinking, um, I turned on the TV and I was watching an episode of a show and my husband walks in and he's like, you watched this last night. And I was literally like, I didn't know if he was messing with me. Like I was, you know, which also goes to say how defensive I was. I was like, no, I didn't. And he was like, yeah, you did. And the previous night was like a Monday, right? 
And so I literally thought he was wrong. So I sat there through an entire hour of a show. And at the end, one part was really familiar to me. And I was like, oh my God, my brain literally did not record this program. And that was not that unusual for me. And it was, again, another wake-up call. So where the light switched on, I had actually stopped drinking, you know, for four months and then I got pregnant. And then after my daughter was born, I went back to drinking. And the reason I stopped the first time was I felt like I couldn't cope with life. I felt like I was strung so thin that anything would break me. I was having arguments with my husband and couldn't remember what they were about the next morning or couldn't, I knew I felt so justified, but I couldn't follow the track of my, what my argument was. I couldn't follow the thread. And so I went to, you know, a counselor who said he specialized in anxiety and addiction. And I said, hi, I'm here for my anxiety and I drink a bottle of wine at night. And he was like, let's talk about your drinking. And I was no, like, no, let's talk about the let's anxiety. Talk about my <laughs> boss, my husband, my kid, my schedule. Um, but the second time after I'd been drinking, it was like I knew too much. And when I finally, you know, in the weeks and months leading up to it, I was actually worried about my mental health. Mm. And I felt kind of doomed. And I was like, I am going to actually screw up my marriage and my kids and my health and my life. And it's going to be my own fault. And so that time when I was worried about my mental health, I knew too much, right? Like I'd done the experiment. It wasn't my boss, my job, my life. It was the alcohol. So that time with Belle, when I was getting away from drinking, the switch was, wow, I'm feeling so much better and my anxiety's down. And I i mean, this does not happen to everyone, but I lost like 24 pounds in my first six months. Wow. I mean, apparently I drank a shitload yeah. and ate poorly too, but it was, I knew it was the alcohol. Mm. And so that was the switch. I knew it was hard to walk away, but every time I was like, oh my God, I can't cope. Oh my God, I hate my life you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I wasn't suicidal, but I was like truly unhappy and angry. And I was like, why am I unhappy? My life is good. Mm. So as I walked away, I was like, it's the alcohol and I don't want to go back there. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Like, and I, I hear you and I feel you like I, I, you know, Again, my story's different, but there are these little threads of similarity and and like I just love that you that your husband was like, Casey, you've seen this episode, and you're the defense is like the first oh my act God. of war. No, I it's the first act of war. What are you talking about? And then you didn't remember that night because you were sitting on the couch pissed off at your husband the whole time yeah. overthinking how much of an idiot your husband is. I've, I've had oh, those yeah. nights on yeah. the couch. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I was so defensive about everything. Yeah. Like, he'd always be like, we talked about this. Mm. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I would try to pretend yeah. that I remembered. I'd be yeah. defensive. I'd be like, God, I have so much going on. I'm so busy. And then, of course, like after I stopped drinking, he'd be like, we talked about this. And I would just be like, oh, we did. Okay. Like I'm so much 
less defensive and just like, oh, I'm human. Yeah. Sorry. Got it now. And that's another one that's really great that you bring up, Casey, is because I think that the ability to manage our emotions is vastly improved very quickly when you remove alcohol. And I think that alcohol promises all this stuff. Like alcohol gives us this sense that like, oh, well, alcohol will chill me out. And what alcohol oh, yeah. does is turn you into a psychotic bitch of a wife. Like it it yes. does the opposite. And so when you remove alcohol, it's like you're less defensive, you're less angry, you're better able to sit with feelings and go, huh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, And but I understand the defense, I think, is because when you're in it, when you're in alcohol use disorder, when you're in um, gray area drinking, it's scary to think what life is without it. So you have to protect it by any means necessary, right? It's like people who are in dysfunctional relationships will defend their partner, even though their partner is like a real pain in the butt, but you defend that person because it's like you defend your alcohol use. And then when those relationships break up that's when everyone is like oh my god thank god you broke up with that person they were a nightmare you know it's a similar thing it it is like we take to alcohol in this relational way which is so Mm -hmm. weird because it's a thing that you buy in a bottle but it gives it promises stuff that people can give us it promises connection it promises fun it you know it promises um relief relax all this stuff that you can actually do without alcohol and just with other people when you're in in true connection you know what I mean I even was talking to my counselor and he was like of course you're gonna miss it of course it's scary alcohol has been your constant companion for 20 years I mean I drank every day so he was like you probably have a closer relationship with alcohol than with your best friend or your spouse And I was like, yikes, so true. So I almost had to relearn how to do everything, how to watch a TV show, how to read a book, how to go to a concert and not drink and appreciate what was better and admit what was hard. And one thing I love that you likened it to a toxic relationship, because I remember going to, I went on a hot air balloon ride for my birthday. Amazing. Of course I had signed up for it before I quit drinking. It was like two months earlier. And after the hot air balloon, we went to a winery. I happened to live within three miles of 90, nine zero wine tasting uh, areas, <laughs> which is probably why I moved here. Right. <laughs> but I mean, so we ended up at a winery for a wine tasting. And it was like my birthday. You know what I mean? I was like, so of course I didn't not go, which is what I would recommend people do now. That's insane. But I went in there and I was like, oh, do you guys have anything non-alcoholic? And they were like, there's a water fountain over there. I was like, are you kidding me? And I was watching everyone taste red wine. And I literally was, it was like watching someone make out with your ex-boyfriend when you love him so much more than they ever could. You know what I mean? Like I was just, I literally went to my car and was in tears in my car. And my husband's like, what is happening? And I was just like, yeah, I don't know. 
because you're so emotional. Yeah. And you know what? This is something that I've not spoken about. It hasn't really come up in my conversations on the podcast, but I wonder if there, like that first bit of sobriety is actually grief and like it's actually, because when, look, if you liken it to a person and I do this with people where I say, can you write, can you explain your relationship with alcohol, but just change the word alcohol to a person's name? And then tell me about this person. So it's like this person shows up all the time. This person makes me feel like crap. I can't say no. I can't, you know, and then what we realize and we identify is alcohol is this toxic friend that you you have to break up with, right? But if you, like when any relationship breaks up, there's an element of grief like a huge element of grief and maybe we maybe that's another tool that we need in our sobriety toolkit where we give people the space and we name it and go what yeah. you're feeling right now what you're going to go through is similar to grief and grief is a roller coaster yeah. of emotions and you have to feel them all and there's actually a process in grief and once you get through that process then you're out the other side and it doesn't mean that prohibition's going to kick in and no alcohol is going to exist yeah. in the world. It just means you can exist in the world without it. Similar to when you break up with someone and they usually don't pass away, they usually move yeah. on to have other relationships and they're existing yes. in the world, but you're existing in the world without them now. And so I wonder if that's something that, you know, we need to spend a little bit more time giving people the space to actually it sounds really intense, but I remember yeah. feeling those feelings looking down the barrel of sobriety going, I'm going to miss this thing so much. Like, yes. what am I going to yes. do with my time? <laughs> like yeah. I do this thing well, every when we day. Drink, we, it's such a love hate relationship. It truly is. And in the same way, when you break up with someone you don't follow them on social media, right? Because it will kill you every time they post something about going somewhere or who they're with or whatever. I encourage women I work with, like most of them fall, you know, get, get, you know, a lot of them are members of wine clubs. They get newsletters that all their friends drink, you know, who are posting their drinks of their gin and tonics on a date night on Friday night. I'm like, mute them on social media opt out of all you know the winery newsletters and opt into what the local bicycling yeah you know group in your neighborhood is or the farmer's market information like fill up your life with other stuff and that doesn't mean you can't be friends with those people who love to drink all my friends used to love to drink and I'm still friends with 90% of them but it does mean that in the very beginning you need to not see that because when you see it, you miss it. You, you're like, oh, I'm not out with them. I don't do mm. that. And the truth is you can do so many other cool things, but you need a break, right? Yeah. Is that one of your, I guess, key bits of advice for people in early sobriety is to define something to, I don't want to say like cut and paste, but like, or, you know, yeah. find something else to do that fills you up or or, or yeah. something that's been on that pending list of things to try. Yeah. I mean, yes. I think in the very, very beginning, meaning like the first two or three mm-hmm. weeks, 
you just need to completely bubble up. Like you're going to be exhausted and irritated and craving sugar and like basically, you know, binge watch bad shows and take naps and long, slow walks and listen to podcasts and go to bed at 8 p.m., whatever you need to do, right? Yeah. But then afterwards, you know, it's weird in the beginning, you sit there and there's this time and I call it the time between like no longer and not yet. No longer when drinking was your main hobby, your main activity, even when you weren't drinking, occupying your mind and space with like, do I have a problem? Do I not? Should I drink? Should I not? And then it absorbs so much of your time and energy that your world actually gets really small. Mm. You tend to, to hang out with drinkers, to have all your activities around drinking, like I pretty much wouldn't go anywhere in on the weekends if drinking wasn't available yeah. or, you know, and so not yet is this beautiful full life where you don't drink, where you're living alcohol free and happily. And it does help to have a routine and to bring in some new things and things you always said you wanted to do. I, you know, I ran a 10K and joined a running group and joined a morning workout group and picked up the guitar again for the first time in 10 oh, years. Oh, I love and that. Lessons. Yeah. And I have clients who've taken painting classes, who've taken, you know, Enneagram classes where they go through with a group, their Enneagram and just studying psychology of it and all the things, you know, get really into yoga, get really into something else, gardening. Yeah. There's, there's a, it's endless the amount of stuff that becomes available to you when you stop drinking. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I remember going, I'm like, I have so much time on my hands. I don't, it's overwhelming and my anxiety is through the roof. And then I just started cleaning out cupboards in my house. And I was like, oh, wow. I get the Marie Kondo thing. I was like, everything sparks joy. I'm like, this whole feeling of throwing yeah. stuff out is sparking so much joy. Like, and it's funny yes. because you have the commodity of time. It's our most valuable asset. Um, and when yeah. we, we gamble it away when we drink because yeah, it's so weird because alcohol like stops the linear time space continuum that we have because we lose pockets of time. We lose Oh, my God. Like me, I don't even remember pockets of right. time. Right. So it's like it's a thief in the night and it's robbing us of all of this time. And when you remove the alcohol, you've got all of this time to do all of these cool things that can fill you up, you know, that can yeah. add so much value and, and help you find, I guess, a new purpose. That's what I wanted to finish on with you because I feel like, Casey, your sobriety unlocked your actual purpose in life and, and what you do yeah. now. And without without your last drink, that doesn't exist. No, no. I mean, it was amazing. I didn't realize how many of my choices in life were driven by my fears rather than my hopes. And I think it was because I didn't have the confidence because I was always sort of shaky or tired or hungover or, you know, despite being very, very successful in the corporate world, I didn't feel that way right? I All the imposter syndrome. And if anyone knew how much I drank or all that stuff. And then once I stopped drinking, I got to like actually dig into why I was in confidence, why I felt the imposter syndrome and realized that with some perspective, I, I could do some great things, but also that I, I was sort of a square peg in a round hole. 
Um, I had gone into the corporate world. I had climbed the ladder because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And it turns out that in all my free time, all I cared was about society and psychology and why people do what they do and how women are raised and what they want instead. And and truly that wine is given to women in the same way that you give a pacifier. Do you guys call it a dummy? A dummy, but I know, yes. Dummy. Yeah. To a baby, right? The baby is upset and you want it to be quiet. So you, you're like, here, have this. Yeah. And women are given, here, have a drink. You're upset. You're outraged. You're So that was all the stuff I was fascinated by. Mm. And so I finally went back to coaching school while working full time. I started my coaching business while working full time. And then I had the confidence to leave my corporate job. And for the past three years, I've been a full-time life and sobriety coach. It's amazing. Like you, I've started a podcast, I've created a course, and I'm so much happier than I ever was. I love that so much. And again, I don't think you get the uh, the balls <laughs> that that it, yeah. it takes to step out of, of what is your you know, formerly your comfort zone and you don't have the creative space to imagine yes. something. Like you created this whole platform for people to help them. That doesn't come unless you take your last drink, unless you have, you know, knock-on benefit after knock-on benefit, like yeah. revelation yeah. after revelation. And that's all, like I keep, I say to people all the time, like, sobriety is on the table but you have to do it you are the only person that can stop yeah. putting alcohol in your mouth I can't do it for you yeah I can give you all the tools we can have all of the inspiring conversations we can hug it out but at the end of the day like it's on us to take the responsibility yeah. and to to hold ourselves accountable to that that place have you ever read the sober diaries by the way by Claire Pooley I have so I had her on my podcast and one thing she said completely and totally stuck with me because it sounds like you're in my experience as well. So she said, it wasn't so much the things I did when I was drinking that I regret because I didn't do that many things I regretted, right? Mm. I mean, yes, you were dumb and you stumbled and you skinned your knee and you don't remember stuff right. and, you know. But she said it was all those nights and weeks and months just slipping through my fingers. And I feel like that's the way we live. Since she stopped drinking, she's written three books, wow. The Sober Diaries and two awesome novels. And uh, she's just like, I did that in the amount of time where I would have done nothing, nothing if I was drinking other than raise my kids, keep it together, you Survive. know, sit on my couch drinking. And that's best case. Yeah. That's best case scenario. I love that. You know? It's so true. And because the reason that we're con connecting with each other is through sobriety and through these little movements that you and I are responsible for creating because we're so, we're so passionate about, like, I just want everyone mm -hmm. to feel what I'm feeling. I'm like, if everyone in the world felt how yeah. I felt, I think the world would be a really great place. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 